0: No, I'm good. Linda, Linda wrote that. Nice one, Linda. Thank you. Yeah, we we're talking about. I mean, there was no speech there, but it was quite clear that how easy it is to become offended by those around us for all kinds of reasons. And we're kind of lingering a little bit. We're we're in the second week of a of a series that we're, we're calling "Hudjewisht." Okay, what does "Hudjewisht" mean? Hold your tongue, or as my dad said, "Shut up." Um, but uh, has anyone had a chance to use that phrase this week? I've used it a lot. Well, I use it all the time. It's part of my native language, right? wished. But you know what? It's amazing things you can find on Amazon. Because I just searched, <laughs> and look, Hadjurwishd. And um, I, I didn't have this printed. It's just, it's available. There's several different kinds of different spellings. Um, but I want to give it away to someone today. So I thought the easiest way is, is anyone's birthday today? Today, not any other day. Anyone's birthday today? Claire Soika. The joy was in the first service. It's his birthday. There's your t shirt. So, next time your parents are just, you know, blah, blah, you're just like, point to your t shirt, right? You wouldn't do that. Um, So, we're going to begin with prayer as we've been doing uh, since January began. Uh, Grateful for us all to be here together this morning. We get to do this. This is really important. And we want it to be more and more central to our practice as followers of Jesus. the Scripture says a lot of things about prayer, and one thing it clearly teaches it is not only a privilege, but it's a responsibility. Um, and I think one thing about older generations often, they have a, a great sense of the significance of prayer. Uh, and I, I found it in churches I've been in when, when some of the old saints passed on to glory, there sometimes kind of was a gap in that presence in that place where they prayed. So we want to really make that a discipline for ourselves. So if you're someone that feels that burden, feels that responsibility and privilege to pray, then join me this morning as we pray for our world and our community. This week, Lord, we come to you again as a family with all of our joys, our burdens, our victories, and our failures. We pray for the sick among us. Heal them, we pray. We praise you for our sister Minerva and the healing that she is continuing to experience. And also for Lydia. We pray for Lydia as she continues to heal. Thank you for the doctors and nurses and the work that they do in our community. Bless them, we pray. We pray for uh, regions of China which are being stricken by a really scary virus. And we just pray that that, that um, spread might be hindered and stopped. And, um, and bless all those healthcare workers who are, who are working to fight that there. We pray for those with whom we will interact this week, whether friends or strangers. We look forward to being able to show them the love and grace of Jesus, for we are his body and each one a part. This is who we are and who we are growing up to be. May we live into that reality by your power. Work in and through us to perform your work in our community. Help us see those who suffer. Help us share their burden. Help us cross the road to the stranger and use all that you've entrusted to us for all that promotes the gospel proclamation and the kingdom's presence here among us. Help us this week to see obstacles and challenges as opportunities to grow more like you. Help us to set aside our own desires and needs for the sake of the people whom you've entrusted to us to love in your name and for your glory. We pray for the church around the world in our own neighborhoods, Help us to build healthy relationships with other believers and to set aside our differences for long enough to be able to collaborate on your kingdom mission. Be with all those who are currently suffering because of their faith in you. Give your people discernment when it comes to matters of politics. May we never believe the lie that any political or earthly power can be your uncritically chosen party of pure righteousness. Earthly kingdoms come and go, but your kingdom endures forever. So we pray for all the flawed leaders of all the political organizations in this country and around the world. When they lie in their beds at night, may they feel the incredible weight of the responsibility that you have given them to enact justice, to lead humbly, and to pursue mercy. May they turn towards you, God, for the power to repent. And the power to perform their responsibilities with seriousness and care. Give us wisdom as citizens as to how to vote and speak and serve during this season of divisive public debate. May we, your children, never break the fellowship that we have with other believers over matters of political opinion. For our union in you is greater than any temporary political perspective and will remain after all the broken earthly kingdoms have been forgotten. I pray now for those among us who feel that they have lost their way. They are weary or who hunger for something more sufficient and real. May they find a true place of belonging in you, God a place of rest and nourishment for mind, soul, and body. And may they find us to be friends for the journey. God, you are the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way forward. We offer our minds and hearts, hands and feet to you this morning, trusting that you accept us fully because of Jesus. We all stand in need of your presence and power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us new. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, James, we're in the book of James. And last week we explored the power of the tongue. This little tiny thing that seems to cause so much trouble for us and others. The power of words to bless or to curse, to heal or to harm. And we discovered and pondered how to be formed transformed into people whose tongues honor the command that Jesus clearly gave us to love God and to love our neighbors, no matter who they are, what they do, or what they believe. It's pretty clear. James is super clear, must run in the family. Jesus says some pretty clear things, and James does too. James says, with the tongue, we praise our God and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Remember, that image is from the very beginning of Scripture, from Genesis, where it said that he made them in his image, male and female, he made them. This is not some separate subsection of humanity. It's all people. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So we had a couple of options. Either a vow of silence might be an option. I am never speaking again, man. It's just too risky. He said, like, teachers are in great danger of being judged, and and everyone's kind of a teacher. I'm just not saying anything anymore. I'm gonna be monk-like and never talk again. Or we could micromanage our speech and communication, painstakingly examining every single word for appropriateness before letting it through the gate that is our mouth. Sounds exhausting. So silence or just a painstaking micromanagement of like fear of saying anything wrong or We could do what James says, follow the directions of the one who created us with tongues in the first place. So we ponder what Jesus says about the subject and I hope we realize that what is important to realize is that what comes upon our tongues and is formed in our communication begins as it's generated in the heart. It is from our hearts that these things come from. Therefore, in order to change our tongue, we must invite God to change our hearts first and often and let our hearts be transformed. Therefore, transformed hearts create a transformed tongue and transformed communication. If you're in one of our small groups this past week, you were encouraged to read the text that immediately follows the one that we looked at about the dangers of the tongue. Uh, and I'd encourage you, if you're not joined a small group, to join one because this whole monologue thing that I do on Sunday mornings is only part of the story. And you may have your own individual thoughts as I'm talking or whatever. But small groups is an opportunity to actually go back into the text and really ponder what it might mean together for life and have your voice heard, share your perspective in a climate of grace and welcome and hospitality. But if you were in a group, then one of the things you were encouraged to do was to read this section that follows up, kind of summing up this whole concept that from our hearts come our tongue and what we say, and then it has its effect in the world. And James writes, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and the selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, the heart condition, and often we're not even aware, I know often I'm probably harboring something in my heart. I'm not even aware of it. I don't like to look there. I don't like to see that. You will from there, there you will find it disorder and evil of every kind as an output from the condition of our heart. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest. Of righteousness. That's what we're called to be in this world. James is pretty clear of that. We're meant to be different. Um, in a world full of anger, jealousy, pride, God's people are are meant to be quantifiably different. So I say, realizing that, I say, my heart. Is, is, not, is a place from which comes this communication. So heal me, start with me, God. I can't change my neighbor, I can't change anyone, but you can change me, God, so make me different. And maybe this week you've been thinking that way, thinking, how can I let God tend to my heart in such a way that it changes how I speak into the world? But here's the thing, the fact remains that no matter how we live out our faith, And leading to our words becoming different, becoming life-giving, peacemaking, healing words. The fact remains, we live in a world where we will constantly encounter the words and communication of others that will cause us to become angry and offended. It's the fruit of all the broken hearts around us that are dissatisfied or caught up in the love or pursuit of all things that will never satisfy and I'm sure we can all think of an example where that has happened. And we're, we're, we're guarding our little heart. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Then I'm such a good Christian guy today, right? And then we bump into someone, like this whole thing here, right? And you're just like, oh, you... I'm gonna share my story, okay? My story, my most recent story of being offended uh, is Jeep guy. i will talk about Jeep guy. Who here drives a Jeep or owns a Jeep? It's like no one. I've got to do full force on the jeep thing, no. I picked this picture, it's not, this is not the guy, this is just a picture from the internet, but it does tell you something about maybe the quality of my interaction with whom I'm calling jeep guy. Um, imagine they're not all jeep drivers are jerks, but this one particular guy didn't do jeep drivers any favors, okay? And it's interesting, if you go, like, uh, type into a Google search box, the such and such are, or such and such is, it's amazing what it tells you about the general, kind of, sense of things uh, in the world. Uh, because, you know, it's from all searches and everything and gives you some kind of sense. So I typed in Jeep drivers are. This is what came up, okay? Suggestions. I didn't do this, right? Suggestions. Um, So obviously there's something out there in the world that maybe Jeep drivers, I haven't really gone on with this, I I was really offended, can you tell? I'll share the story in a minute. I actually got quite into it, I thought, pastors are, I searched for that, look what came up. Lonely, lazy, tax exempt, Right? (laughs) It's kind of fun. You should try it. But um, let me tell you about my Jeep guy experience. So I basically was with my sister. Some of you met my sister visiting from Scotland, and we were at Vaughn's. We were going to get some produce from Vons, and we were in the parking lot, going to park. Driving along in front of the store, saw some spaces over here. thought I can, and there was cars kind of coming this way. It was quite busy, so I was going to pull over here. And I thought there's a space there. And as I was turning, this Jeep in this park space adjacent to where I was wanting to go, the, rear, the reverse lights came on. And I was like, okay, thinking, he's moving out, I'll just move in quick and that will be done with and I won't hinder anyone else, right? So I did that. Got out of the car, he pulled out, one like this, rolled his window down, called me something that I will not repeat here, and then said, you always need to be first. And I can tell you clearly and most sincerely that I was offended by that, <laughs> by this shouting out the window moment at me. You know that feeling? How dare you? It's that rising feeling like I wanna on uh, No one's ever felt that before, you know? Someone says something, does something. It just triggers this visceral response in you. And I'm, I'm the good Christian guy, man. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing and then I'm offended. Jeep drivers, they're all the same. Subaru drivers. Humvee drivers, I don't know. So there's that moment, right? There's that moment. It's all for naught. I'm like, so much for a transformed heart. And like, man, I'm just angry now. So does scripture in general, and James in particular, have anything to say about this kind of situation? And I think it does. I think it's helpful. This is the second part. The reason we're doing a second week is because it's all very well to me think about controlling my tongue, but you're gonna step immediately into the world and this is gonna happen to you. And what do you do? when that happens. And I think the first thing I look at is maybe a definition of offense. What is, off, what is offense? Um, and we can, we can think about the English translation of things, but you know, words do change over time in cultures. You know, one word in a certain time in history can mean a different thing, and words can often change in their meaning. And if we're gonna talk about what the Bible says about something, we should probably try and figure out what what it means when it says this word. And I don't usually talk about the Greek because um, I did some Greek in seminary, but I have just enough to be dangerous. Okay? But the thing is, it's an interesting word that, that is used for offense in the Bible, and it's scandalon or scandalizo, which means it's like our word scandal. So it really kind of connects, like this Greek word is, is a kind of a root to this sense of, of scandal, offense. Um, the very first time it appears is in Leviticus 19 in the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. And this word for offense appears first in Leviticus 19, where it says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block and offense in front of the blind, but fear you're God, I am the Lord. What does this mean? What does this mean, offense or stumbling block? Well, it's really saying that, that that which hinders someone who's already somewhat limited in their ability to engage in the community and the people of God, it says, do not place anything but in front of them or cause them to stumble away from this participation, involvement, belonging with the people of God and who that is in terms of how they relate to God and to other people. It was a very particular people, the kingdom of God, the people of God in Israel in that time. So do not put some offense or stumbling block in front of this person that would hinder them from full participation of this community. Jesus talks about it too. Luke 17, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble, this word again, or be offended are bound to come. Never, never was a truer word spoken in my, my experience. Yes, offense will come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Woe to anyone. Then he goes on, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. This is the result of offense, to stumble. So what does this mean? What is the biblical definition of this offense when it talks about stumbling? Well, really what it is, it's some Event, moment, act, word that causes myself or somebody else to behave or act in a way in response that denies the truth about who God is and who people are. So anything that causes, basically, that incites to sin, stumbles, causes me to lead into sin where I deny who God is and who other people are from God's perspective. This is what it means to engage with a feeling of offense. So let's think about it in terms of my, my, um, yeah, we'll do that in a minute, the Jeep guy. He's coming back, don't worry. I know you missed him already. Um, What is happening when we become offended then? According to this definition, what is happening when we become offended? Well, it's this. It's we are being incited towards sin. We're being incited by some event, moment in time where I am now misunderstanding Like viscerally, emotionally, in that moment, I am stepping away from understanding that said, God is fully sufficient for all my needs, and my neighbor is completely worthy because of the image of God that they carry of my respect, my care, my love. We're just going along with our day, just going along with my day feeling good taking care of business, and then we read something or someone says something or does something and we respond viscerally, emotionally. And it's a stumbling into somehow stepping away from the reality of that God is sufficient and my neighbor is to be loved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And this is somehow damaged. Do I step away from that in that moment? Is it making sense? Is it a different way to think about offense? Um So let's think about my interaction with Jeep Guy. Welcome back, Jeep Guy. This is actually a meme online. So many people have used this picture um, for various things, but I like the guy, I'm becoming quite fond of him. Um, Here's what was happening. Um, I was trying my best to balance the needs of not only myself and my sister to gain sustenance from Vons of a sugary variety, might have been donuts, but also other people driving in the parking lot. I'm thinking about them. And Jeep guy himself attempting to reverse out of his space. As far as I was concerned, I was being a good person. My motives were, as far as I could tell, good in the moment. And I thought I was doing what was the right thing. He disagreed with me entirely for some reason. And he shouted a bad word at me. And then he said, you always need to be first. And I felt that response, okay, what is it in the context of the definition of offense that happened? Well, the first thing he questioned, my good judgment. He sort of demeaned me, like I'm an evil, bad person. He questioned my character. He did this in front of my big sister. My big sister, man. I was, you know, pride, family pride, whatever, right? And he did it as he was driving away so I couldn't answer him. And I was ticked. I felt angry. And I questioned all the same things about him that he had questioned about me. And I began to justify to my sister and anyone else who was in Vaughn's at the time how he was obviously a very bad person. I may have said a couple of not very nice things, if not out loud, at least in my head. But regardless of what I was saying, or I, some ugly things were happening inside my heart at that moment because of this moment. And I, and I, was, I was denying I was in that point of stepping away from the truth that there's a God who's sufficient for all my needs. I don't need to fight for parking spaces. And, and there's a guy in a Jeep who God loves, who Christ died for, and who's worthy of my respect, who carries the image of Jesus, and I was mad at him. You ever felt that anger, you, want, you wanted to hurt somebody they, for, a, for a seemingly small thing, and you're angry. Okay, maybe you're tired, maybe you're hungry. I get angry. my family knows that. But you feel this thing, what is that, man? There's something dark in my heart that can respond like that. And it is this incitement to sin, to step away from what is true about God and others. And this here is the worst thing about it. I, it was Sunday. This happened on Sunday. And I had just come from church where I had stood in this very hallowed spot and preached a lovely message about what to wear this Christmas. Love, humility, gentleness, patience, compassion, and kindness. Oh. And I was clearly offended So according to our biblical definition, what had happened? Well, because of this interaction, I denied what I believe about God and other people. Because of this interaction, I stumbled into sin. As a result, from my perspective, totally innocent actions, I also caused Jeep Guy to possibly stumble into sin the way he treated me, becoming angry with me, judging me as lesser, failing to acknowledge the image of God that I carry or the God who made me and loves me. So this is the kind of world we live in. It's happening all the time offending and being offended. How should we consider such a word? exhausting? It's exhausting to feel this way. So what are we to do? Well, what could I have done that day? I could I let the anger burn for it? You know that feels so good to hate someone? I'm just being honest here. When someone's really messed with you, just to kind of, uh, you just kind of like, not massage, uh, what's it, Nurse, nursing. It is a uh, Scottish poem about this woman whose husband is late back from the pub. Uh, he foolishly went through the graveyard where this whole like witches thing was happening, which is really scary, a whole other story. But he talks about his wife waiting for him at home, nursing her wrath to keep it warm, okay? You know, feeling like, oh, it feels so good sometimes to be angry at somebody. So I could do that, I could stew over it. Or I could go on and on about it to other people like I'm doing this morning. <laughs> Once again, the irony is not lost on me. It feels a little bit good to say this stuff. Uh, that I was in this, right in the situation and he was an idiot. I could talk about it, tell my family, they know, they know me, I do this stuff. And you know, the thing is, offense is a habit of growing at all out of proportion. That's the nature of sin. It is defiling and it defiles and it moves and it travels and the offense that I have doesn't just stay with me. I'm willing to share it with you. And it has this power to harm and when it's connected with the name of Jesus Christ, it's just even more harmful when it's us that are the ones who are causing this. So what could I do? I could, I could steal about it, I could kind of enjoy the anger, I could share it with other people, or I could do what James says, I could rejoice. I could rejoice because of this moment. How could I possibly rejoice? How could that happen? Remember how James began his letter? He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. That's who he says he is, who he wants to be, who he's becoming. That's how he introduces himself. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, these people, these were uh, Jewish people, early Jewish believers in Jesus, who because of persecution and issues had been scattered around into other cultures and it was difficult and challenging. And offense was probably constant for them. He says, greetings, fellow earthlings, and he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and surely being offended is in the category of trials of many kinds, so here's why we, my brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy, can rejoice when we are offended, when we encounter that moment, and here it, here it is, because God has a clear and powerful purpose for it that if understood and engaged with, will change our lives and the lives of those around us. God is always purposeful. And, and this is a place where his purposes meet our lives and we can be changed If and we can rejoice. So here's some practical uses for being offended. Here's what we can do. Here's how we can consider it. And here's how James would urge us to consider it. The first thing is, when we have that moment it gives us a clear measure of our actual progress and maturity in Christ, right? It shows me who I am. My response gave me the best possible um, evaluation of where I had got to. Even after preaching a wonderful service um, sermon that morning, it said, Grant, this is you. You know, we all want to think of ourselves as better than we actually are, I think, deep down. We wanna, as many people have said, we want to be the person our dog thinks we are, right? <laughs> Not our cats. Cat doesn't care about you, FYI. You, As far as it's concerned, you are a, a lowly subject, and it is God, okay? That's why the Egyptians made statues of cats and worshiped them. So I think this causes us a sense of wanting to uh, Imagine ourselves as better than we actually are. I mean, here's the thing, you know, God sees right into you. He sees everything. You're not even aware of most of it, but that which we are aware of, we wanna hide. We end up living lives of delusion, self-protection, justification. That's the thing, in our defense, like, well, but but but, 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 I did, but, but, but he did, it's that sense of like, I wanna protect my sense of myself being good, but this actually shows me my true nature. You know, it's true, God could reveal all of our imperfection in one shocking moment of clarity. Bang, there's you. But it would kill us. We would despair. Anyone who's ever caught a glimpse of God in his glory has said, I, I am undone, woe to me. I am a person of unclean lips in a, in a world of unclean lips and I, I, I can't stand before your glory, God, as myself. But he doesn't work like that, but he does incrementally allow things in life to show us who we really are. And it's painful. It's all usually always the difficult, painful things that actually give us a true view of the condition of my heart and my progress in this thing we call faith. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and my neighbor as myself, and oh, I've fallen short. Hallelujah, though. You know, they say in, 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 in um, 12-step programs, etc. you know, the first step is actually acknowledging that you do have a problem. And I think we're all in that boat. We're all addicted to sin, We're all addicted to a failure to measure up to what God calls us to do, and those moments are the times when we truly see it and we go, I need help. I need help. C.S. Lewis said, he wrote, he maybe said it, I'm not sure, but he definitely wrote it. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So that moment of pain that comes when I am offended, that it leads me to deny with my actions, my response, whatever, the perfection of, of, of God and the sufficiency of him and the fact that my neighbor is worthy of my love and I'm called, commanded even to love my enemies shows me who I am. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires The battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Hallelujah for the truth about me. Um, Peter, think about Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest followers. And he had very strong words to say. I think Peter wanted to believe himself to be stronger. I mean, Jesus called him the rock, right? Peter means rock. He's like, I am that rock. I will will never deny you. Even all people fall away and abandon you. I will never do that. And then within hours of Jesus' arrest, what does Peter do? He denies that he even knows him. In fact, he brings down curses on himself and, and denies any knowledge of Jesus. This is what happened. This was an offense. There was an offense happening. In the presence of those who did not, clearly did not share Peter's convictions, he crumbled and he was offended, i.e., incited to deny what he said he believed. The amen. But you know what is so incredible about that story? Because we can go like, oh, the, the hardest thing about the truth about me is it can cause me to give up, to despair. That's often why I think we, we shrink away from the bad things about ourselves. But what happens with Peter? A short while later, Jesus comes to him and comes to Peter and says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus is not fooled. He's like, yeah, with part of your heart, Peter, but go then and live like you do go feed my sheep, go serve my people, go be that rock, that faulty, cracked rock, but yeah, I'll be with you, Peter. And that's grace, because when we fail, we see ourselves as we are. There is a grace that is sufficient that covers that, that if we can get up and we can continue moving forward, grateful that we've been shown who we are. We don't need to justify anymore. Yeah, I'm Grant, and I'm a sinner. Hello, Grant. Um, Second thing It gives us an opportunity to practice sharing in the sufferings of Christ and following his example. You get that moment when you are maligned, you're misunderstood, and you're offended? It gives you an opportunity to go, this is what Jesus lived with every day (laughs) from his best friends and his enemies. He's walking through this world with constant incitements to offense where he would do something, step out of the will of God, out of relationship with his Father and his mission to all people, and, and break away from that because of this offense. And he, he doggedly pursued that line, continuing to follow, to trust. But it hurt. It hurt him because he was human too. So we get an op- opportunity to step into that, sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Paul said, I, I want to know the glory of his resurrection and I want to share in his sufferings. And if, if, that's, that's the second thing, Yeah. The third thing is it will mature and strengthen our faith if we'll allow it to do its work. It will mature us. Rejoice. <laughs> we'll be mature. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces something? Rejoice when you encounter trials, knowing that this is, a, this is what it is, a test of your faith. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Well, apparently you don't, but... This is going to produce something in you as you let it have its work with you. Don't walk away from the world. Be fully present in the world, knowing the grace of God covers your bad responses to things. Therefore, you are still His, but it's producing something in you. Let perseverance finish its work. This is a work, and God uses every element of life to do His work to change us, to mature us, to grow us, so that you may be you are not yet, <laughs> but you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Peter, later on in his life, writes to, in a letter, he says that all this you greatly rejoice, talking about what all you have in Christ. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, this is from God's perspective, you think they've come because someone's trying to give you a hard day. And from God's perspective, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed because we are his work written on our lives. And all the universe goes, wow, what has God made of these creatures? So rebellious, so fickle. And look at the glory that's being revealed in them as their lives are changing. So what about some guidance? Practical guidance, because it's gonna happen. Within the next hour, you walk out of this building, probably there'll be a reason to be offended. So how, how can we cope with offense? Well, we can look at Jesus for sure. The people who wrote about Jesus's life tell us that he was mocked and didn't respond in kind, that he was beaten and falsely accused and didn't defend himself, and was finally nailed to the cross as a criminal and said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. That sounds like a tall order for me. Hebrews 4.15 says, we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So I think there's a lot to be said for looking at that and saying, well, main thing is that Jesus can empathize with me in those moments, because He's not a God that is unaware what it means to be human, because this God stepped into our flesh, experienced every single thing that we can, therefore he can empathize with us. And it makes him a close friend. Because my God has has stepped in the footsteps that I step in. But but he's still kind of distant. I'm not God. I don't I can't love my enemies like that. What do I do? James says we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check, and Jesus is the latter part, but I'm the first part. We all stumble in many ways. Is there a more helpful, maybe, example or process that I can turn to in a world of offense? And I think there is. One of the most wonderful books, one of my favorite books of the Bible is is what we call the Psalms, or in Scotland, the Psalms. S-A-M-S, Z actually, S-A-M-Z. And in it, we can find every single human emotion. And offense is no different. All the way through the Psalms, there are people who are being offended. Um, and the longest Psalm in, in, the, in the collection of Psalms is Psalm 119. And it has 176 verses. And over at Charter Oak Mobile Home Estates next door, me and, and Ron actually, and a fierce, fearless little band of residents there and some people from here, we've traveled in the entirety of Psalm 119. It took us 10 weeks. We did it every other week. Um, you know, we do a Bible study over there, it's really awesome, and we finished it, good for us. Woo! Uh, and it was lovely, it was an amazing experience. And it's a very incredible piece of writing because it's so intentional. Every word is there on purpose, and especially so because each section starts with a different, and the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which we think is probably to aid memorization, but it has this amazing intentionality to it. And we've been trying to look at the words, And it's important to look at words when so you look at scripture, Because I think sometimes we read scripture and we just kind of like blast through it without taking the time to go, this individual word, what significance does it have that it's next to this one? I'm kind of geeky about that kind of thing, but we'll be doing that. So one of the things we've been learning as we go through the Psalms, because we've covered lots of Psalms, is to see what the first line says and what the last line says and see if there's a difference between them from the perspective of the writer and therefore what might have happened in the middle to change their perspective Psalm 119 was super interesting. We just finished it last week or so. So we looked like we've done all this 10 weeks. Look what it said way back in wherever it was we started. And what is the psalmist saying now? First verse in Psalm 119 says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. What does that sound like? I would exclude me. <laughs> blessed are the ones whose walk is blameless. I think the author somewhat perceives himself as being this, Right? who walk according to the law of the Lord. seems simple. How does it end? The very last verse of Psalm 119 says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. I have strayed. What happened in the intervening 174 verses? Here's what happened. Adversity. Adversity. Adversity has caused this person to see the true condition of their heart. They're not the blameless, they're they're a lost sheep. It's also enabled them uh, to see the futility of trusting in people, because <laughs> offense will come. And it's full, if you read Psalm 19, there's so many incidences of people coming against this person, from kings to ruffians, whatever it might be. But he's also learned something else. And he writes it in verse 165, he says, the people who love your instruction enjoy peace and lots of it. There's no stumbling which is experiencing and succumbing to offenses that lead to sin for them. What is it that causes this person to progressively enjoy a peace? as Scripture says, that passes understanding that leads to less of this stepping out of God's will and understanding of God and others because of offense. but it's this, "I love your instruction. I love your instruction." And I tell you, God's instruction is offensive. Some of you have to learn about what Scripture says. This word also is used just as many times as it is for this stumbling thing as actually that the gospel is this. The gospel is offensive to us. And remember, Paul said, I came to you, O church, and said, I'll preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. And then goes on to say, this is kind of offensive to human beings. We don't like to hear that about ourselves. But this is the instruction. This is a good offense it's super challenging. It's an offense that crushes as it heals, breaks as it mends, humbles as it lifts us up. Uh, and this is this is the answer to let God do his work in us. Let him offend us, and we will find ourselves being less offended by others. Matthew gives a hint of it when he talks about Jesus. It says that they, this is the people who are listening to Jesus, mostly Pharisees, Sadducees, all the other sees, sees Candies. Uh, they were in these Candies. There was one in, early one in Palestine. But it says they took offense at him, at Jesus. They took offense. They were caused to stumble because of what he was saying. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town or in his own home. It's the offense of the gospel um, that is so healing for us. And the offense of others causes us to see our true quality and then the Christ speaks into our lives and shows us our need, that we needed and continue to need a savior, an intercessor, a redeemer, a rescuer who heals our broken hearts, that we're helpless without him, that they're no better we're no better than any other human being, you and I, that our behavior falls far short of what is required, that God went to great lengths to save me. So what's the answer to daily offenses is to let God offend you first and often. Let the gospel speak to your heart, show you to humble you um, and then let the work that is happening around us do its work progressively over time. James has the final word. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to offend you. I probably offended some of you already, maybe even this morning. <laughs> um, and I can tell you, when next time you get offended, rejoice. Rejoice. Next time that offense comes, rejoice for an opportunity like Peter of gaining a true measure of how very human you are and rejoice in the grace of Jesus that allows you to continue on and progress with him. He doesn't ever reject you for the times that you fail. Don't justify. Rejoice. Repent, re-engage. Secondly, when you feel that sting, that rising anger, consider it this way. Consider this is what it was like for Jesus. And I get to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And this will do good things inside of me for my closeness with him. I'm not gonna get unscathed through this life, but I can see it as an, an opportunity to really truly be part of the body of Christ. Even if I didn't deserve it, possibly even especially if I didn't deserve it. And rejoice, let the trial do its work as you seek to obey God, knowing that he will use all things for your growth and maturity. There's a really famous, kind of famous, I going to invite the worship team to come up. Has anyone ever heard this saying? It was first used of journalism, but then preachers started using it. And it says this, that the gospel, in its truth, should disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Disturb the comfortable, and comfort the disturbed. That's the offense of the gospel. It comes, it disrupts our lives. Um, and I think if we spend more time letting that do its work in us, there'll be a lot less friction with others, at least coming from my heart, uh, through my mouth. Um, so the, the team's gonna lead us in response, because really this, this is beyond us to just decide one day I'm going to be unoffendable uh, and I'm not going to cause any more offense because we all stumble in many ways. But, it, but it's part of the process of, of recognizing the, the, the two truths that, the, that I am not yet who I should be, but yet the grace of God is sufficient for me to get up in the morning and head into another day And he can be trusted to take every single part of life, the good and the bad, and perfectly for me as an individual use it to create the person that he's calling me to be if I will let him, if I will show up, if I'll participate, if I will pray, if I will ask. You do not ask because you do not receive. Um, And this song talks about the Holy Spirit. That is the power in this world uh, both to convict of that Failure, but also to empower us to live differently. Um, and this is going to be a hard year. Anyone notice that there's a lot of div- division and offense floating around? Imagine if God's people were to a great degree so preoccupied with the specific call and mission that God had for them in their area, their place, their family, their community, that they didn't really have a lot of energy or time to be spent on getting into fights and arguments with other people about things uh, over which they don't have a whole lot of control. Maybe we start there, me, my neighbor. Maybe it can start something different that people will see Jesus in. Um, And maybe some of them won't. (laughs) And we'll be offended. But we can take that and say, God, yeah, here I am. Thank you that you call me into relationship with you, that you love me just the way I am, but that you love me too much to leave me that way. Let's sing together.